0: Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a closer look at holiday music from longtime Star Tribune writer John Bream. But first, a holiday special from MNN's Bill Werner. When I was a boy, my
1: father and I used to go to downtown Minneapolis a lot. Not every weekend, but I'll bet it worked out to maybe every two weeks or three. There was a lot to do down there because we had hobbies. He would drive from our haven in the suburbs down Central Avenue the long way in. There wasn't even a freeway when we first started doing that. Into town, past mile after mile of ramblers set back on big lots, across the causeway with Highway 65 going right through the middle of Moore Lake, a bow and a curtsy to the Minnesota Highway Department. There was a small island on our right side, which would have been a short paddle from our church, something we never did after Sunday morning services. The new homes of the suburbs gave way to a smattering of commercial buildings, and then the houses became taller and the lots narrower, and after a few miles of that, we reached Central and Lowry, the commercial center of northeast Minneapolis. That was before it became known as Northeast. When I was young, we had to go that far into town to have a meal at a restaurant, which I think we did maybe one night a week, at the Crest Cafe, which is now the parking lot of a bank. We children, the jolly jokers that we were, dubbed it the railing restaurant after my dad one time misjudged the parking space and put the bumper, probably, of our 1957 Chevy up over the low steel barrier and scraped the undercarriage, backing it out. Thankfully, there were no other mishaps on any other trip into downtown Minneapolis in the years that followed. On all those journeys, when we left behind the two- and three- and four-story shops of that big commercial corner, whizzing by factories and supply houses and truck depots, and through the sour smell of General Mills making cereal.
2: In my little town.
1: Downtown Minneapolis was then, as it is today, the biggest urban concentration in the upper Midwest. But it wasn't very fashionable at that time. Hundreds of thousands of office workers came in on weekdays. But at night, and on the weekends when we went downtown, we had the place to ourselves. We could do what we wanted and go where we wished with nobody to get in our way. No civilians, is what my dad used to say. A reminder, I think, of his days as a staff sergeant in the U.S. Army Signal Corps during World War II. Unlike today, there were not a lot of people actually living in the center of downtown, except for those hanging on after the movers and shakers of the business community brought in cranes, wrecking balls, and bulldozers to clear the Gateway District, what used to be Skid Row. My dad parked the car at the edge of downtown, not far from that network of railroad sightings that served businesses in the Warehouse District in the North Loop. I think I mentioned that my dad and I had hobbies, and at that time it was philately, And our destination was the John C. Cornelius Stamp Company in the Kresge Building, right on the corner of 7th Street and Nicollet Avenue, the center of downtown. That's where City Center is now with its nondescript 50-story blank-faced office tower. We entered the musty old elevator and pushed the button for the third floor, walked past office after office down a long and narrow hallway. Salesmen and accountants and printers and inventors and everything else, I suppose, in there. And way at the end, there was an open door. And there was the oak counter with stamps under the glass and Mr. Cornelius coming out from the back with thick three-ring binders bulging with his stock and we would like number 323a and number 507 and number 612 which were carefully placed in a wax paper envelope for transport back to the suburbs to then be ensconced in our own three-ring binders franklin delano roosevelt would have approved i think downtown minneapolis was deserted in the off hours at that time And it was strange, because to get to the center, you'd go by entire city block after city block of parking lots, the product of what was termed urban renewal of the old Gateway District. Some of those parcels stood vacant for decades after the economy slowed down. Downtown Minneapolis was changing, for sure. The skyways went up, and more and more merchants went up there, because that's where the office workers were, particularly in the dead of winter. The city was endowed with its first honest-to-goodness skyscraper, the year 1972, when the IDS Tower doubled the height of the old fauché, which had held the record as the tallest in the Twin Cities since 1929. That was the year of Black Thursday, something we have also had some experience with lately. But for many decades before, and for years after my dad and I bought stamps for Mr. Cornelius, that very intersection, 7th and Nicollet, continued to be what my urban geography professor, David Landegren called the 100% corner of the upper Midwest.
0: Who can turn the world on? With
1: their For years, just about every time I walked past or went by on the bus, there would be a tourist or tour and sometimes a gaggle of them, hamming it up and taking snapshots and later selfies behind the statue of Mary Tyler Moore at that very spot where she tossed her hat into the air. <laughs> And then one day, Mary was wearing a mask. But it will take more than a pandemic to quiet the memories of all that happened at that corner and at all the corners like it in cities, towns, and hamlets all across the state of Minnesota. And perhaps by recalling those times and by resolutely facing those with which we are presented now, Minnesotans will, as they always have, move into the future.
0: Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each
2: year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you, and if you smoke, Ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Here's more from Bill Werner. Every year when this time rolls around, I start thinking about how downtown
1: Minneapolis used to be when I was a kid. Downtown was a hodgepodge of small shops, medium-sized establishments, and huge department stores. The three biggest ones lined up one right after another along Nicollet Avenue. It wasn't a mall then. And there were, I suppose, hundreds of restaurants. For some reason, the one that has stuck in my mind is the Tick-Tock Diner, which had one facade on 7th Street and another on Hennepin Avenue, an L-shaped building where you could grab a hamburger and fries while you were taking a shortcut. There were drug stores, arcades, variety shops, surplus stores, outlets, all mixed in with doctor's offices, dentists, and the great northern market on Hennepin Avenue's what later became known as Block E, where you could buy everything from honest-to-god rye bread to, I suppose at some point in the past, even a live chicken. There was a hardware store, too, where my dad and I bought nails and hammers, screws and screwdrivers, and electrical wiring boxes. The bars I was too young to enter, and I couldn't even conceive of the purpose of less reputable establishments on the upper floors of some of the worn-out old buildings. Hotels they were, the Nicollet, a pile of brick blocks on the fringe of the old gateway, what used to be Skid Row and was then being leveled, just about the time I was old enough to sort of understand what was going on. And then there were the monolithic Leamington and the sprawling Curtis Hotels at the other end of downtown. And right in the center, the Radisson and the Dykeman, an interesting name out of Minneapolis history. Those were the reputable places. Then there were the lodging houses, the likes of Hotel Andrews, the last resort after the old cage hotels came down, where rooms were let by the week or the month, and where the old men went out for a morning stroll not to a breakfast counter, but to the local tavern. All this was the everyday stuff. But at Christmas, a reasonably behaved child could enjoy a chaperoned meal a dozen floors up at the very top of Dayton's, the biggest of the big department stores, and then descend to the 8th floor auditorium for an entreaty too and a quick photo with Santa. And finally, the fabulous Christmas windows along the full block of Nicollet Avenue. The ones I remember best were fully animated scenes from Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker. Everything in motion, tin soldiers, wooden toys, girls and boys on both sides of the glass. The reds, greens, blues and yellows that seemed to bleed into the snow on the sidewalk. Window after window, all the way down that magical block of Nicolet. Then peek around the corner, and there were even two or three more windows down 8th Street. One's imagination would run wild as buses and trucks and cars whizzed by and bundled shoppers carried away packages to squirrel under the Christmas tree. You get the idea. Seventh and Nicolet was a storied corner indeed. And many, many Minnesotans were reminded of that just over five years ago. It was a week and a day before the official kickoff of the holiday shopping season at a church five blocks from the old flagship store that Minnesotans said farewell to a man who created memories for many of us. Department store magnate Bruce Bliss Dayton was born in 1918. And his son, Governor Mark Dayton, remembered my brother Brant recalls morning walks with my father singing, Oh, what a beautiful morning. What a beautiful
3: morning.
2: Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. Dad and his brothers filled their
1: stores, not only with the best merchandise sold at the best values, but also with the beauty they found in nature and the vibrancy they felt in life. The store featured jubilee sales, daisy sales, spring garden shows, eighth floor rainforests, art galleries, and bright window displays along Nicollet Avenue. People liked Dayton's. Yes, they did. A child, this child in fact, would be brought through the huge and mysterious city to the epicenter of all that hustle and bustle. And there was the fabulous building reaching for the sky. Twelve stories packed with many things not yet met. Where should, where could one start in that block square edifice that held everything from books on musty shelves to cuckoo clocks to smart clothes that I was too young to care about? My favorite was the furniture department on the seventh floor. The whole floor where a child, after rising through innumerable levels on escalators giving quick glimpses of delight, could wander off back into aisles and alleys, perching on sofas and chairs fit for kings among fine paintings, listening to grand music, and then choose from endless offerings, be it fussy Victorian or minimalist Scandinavian, how one would arrange the attire of one's own domicile to come and plan years not yet arrived as the adults downstairs aimed for the moon and strove to be free. Well, much is different now. And indeed it should be. But the present day bustle on the skyways and the stores of the new millennium, stocked by trained experts and computer algorithms, they are not the same. For certain it is because we have all changed, grown up, assumed the responsibilities of adulthood. But I think it is also because those places now gone were built and made alive by those people who lived through a Great Depression, which ushered in a terrible war. And then, having fulfilled their sacred obligation, they assumed yet another, and with hard work, grasped the cusp of halcyon days, freely giving its fruits to their offspring. The book of that generation they begat is mostly filled now, but it remains to be seen how those children write the final pages.
0: Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Here's more from Bill Werner. We have visited some pretty fancy,
1: hoity-toity places on our little sojourn here. And I think it's high time that we observe what one columnist in the Star Tribune dubbed humble buildings, these places still exist, tucked away in the corners of your town and mine, representing another place in time, and for me, they are sometimes the stuff of dreams, which leave me wondering, are those bricks in that mortar still here, or are they only in our minds? So join me now and imagine, if you will, the quiet streets of a city blanketed by snow. The avenues are dark, except for a few lone corners brightened by street lamps. The patrons of the many shops have long since departed. Even the shopkeepers are now snugly shut off from the cold night at home by their fireplaces. But look... In a tiny toy shop on a small forgotten back street, something strange and magical and wonderful is beginning to happen. When watched, the figures are still, but now, left to their own devices, they are coming to life. That was a bit of a jolt, stumbling out of that doorway onto the sidewalk. Just past dusk recently, I walked there and saw what things are like now. It was comforting to know that at least at the far side of the block, people with Christmas on their minds were bustling in and out of the grocery store. Al from Maine at the meat and seafood counter, Michael from Fargo in the cheese department, Gertrude near the front, making the customer service the best in town, and Kumari, rigging up purchases and packing into sacks all that good, blessed food, which harried customers would later consume at the communal table with the few most significant to them. Wines and Spirits was busy also, clients scurrying out with paper bags, some back to apartments preened up for the holidays, and others to the Continental Hotel, up a narrow flight of stairs to a narrow little room. And still others to the bridge pillar under the freeway next to the Basilica of St. Mary. This block, I think, has become holy. Take out only now at the Italian place around the corner, down a half level in the basement where we used to sit so many times over a pizza and chopped salad during tough times and try to figure it all out. And the apartment building overhead, the Kenosha, reminding us of what boiled over here in this very city, in this year, now ending. The other corner of the block, the restaurant and bar, closed, I think, but I'd better call to make sure, A newly arrived Parisian chocolate shop, awaiting a time when clients may consume confections beside a scale model of the Eiffel Tower. And next door, Haute Coffure, accented by PPE. And right at my own 100% corner, what used to be a hi-fi shop. Not Wi-Fi, mind you, but turntables, receivers, and speakers. Where in the back room I once heard a woman clearly singing 20 feet back over my shoulder, and when I turned around... No one was there. The vestibule at the corner with display windows so inviting. And Scott, those awnings still look as sharp as the day you put them up. This is the challenge that we have, to put people back into these buildings, all across Minnesota and across our nation, to again have a time when we may all stand next to each other, faces bare, in all of our town squares, and again toss our hats into the air. This will require hard work, steadiness of mind, perseverance, and most of all, faith.
0: Minnesota Matters after this.
2: Last night we put on an epic light show! Yeah, we did! The crowd loved us! We love the crowd!
0: Wait, but there were only four people out there. Yeah, but
2: did you see their four faces? All eight of their eyes lit up brighter than ours! (gasps) And we're Fireflies! Yeah, we Hey, that one girl, she looked like she'd never seen glow-in-the-dark like this before, and we invented glow-in-the-dark! Yeah, we invented it! And we're gonna be out here every night, rocking out our light show at a forest near you! woo So come check us out! Check us out! And bring your kid all-ages show! Oh, but, uh, don't bring any of those glass jars, because they make us kind of nervous. Yeah,
3: and I'm super claustrophobic!
0: Whether you're rocking their world, or they're rocking yours, some memories never fade. Come alive with the forest. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a forest near you. And discover other cool things to do when you go, like fishing, biking, or even camping. Visit discovertheforest.org. See you later. Yeah, see you soon. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. For many of us, popular holiday music is an essential part of the holiday season. I recently spoke to Star Tribune music critic John Bream about how that tradition began, what makes a good holiday song, and why we keep coming back to the same songs, good and bad, year after year. When did pop stars start singing Christmas songs, or when did it become popular?
3: Oh, I think it probably turned around when uh, White Christmas came a big hit from a movie for Bing Crosby. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And then after that, you know, these, these songs have just kind of blossomed and snowballed, so to speak.
0: So what is it that makes a a holiday song stand the test of time, in your opinion?
3: Well, two things. One, it's the melody intuits the message. You know, in regular pop songs, the message isn't always important. It's kind of the catchiness and, and how it makes you feel. But the way Christmas and holiday songs make you feel is really important. So it's got to have a melody that you remember, and a message that connects with people. It's got, it, you know, there's there's got to be more emotion in Christmas songs than there is in, you know, your everyday ordinary pop songs.
0: For every good holiday song, or for every holiday song that succeeds with that criteria you just mentioned, there's probably 10 or 20 that don't succeed. Uh, what are some of the strangest that you can think of that you've come across in your years as a uh, music listener and critic?
3: Oh, where there's Please, Daddy, Don't Get Drunk This Christmas. John Denver recorded that. <laughs> (laughs) Elmo and Patsy, an old country dude Grandma got run over by a reindeer. How about a more recent Kenny Chesney All I Want for Christmas is a real good tan. And of course, for the Minnesotans out there, there's Yingle Bells by Yogi Jorgensen. A Yingle Bells, a
2: Yingle Bells, a Yingling all the way. I should have worn long underwear in that one horse open sleigh.
0: You mentioned uh, along the course of the interview a few of the songs that have appealed to you over the years, and as we wrap things up here, I'm just wondering, is there one in particular that uh, that melts your heart every year this time of year?
3: Absolutely not. Um, I don't go for particular songs. I think it's more of who's singing the song. And, you know, we I've got hundreds and hundreds of Christmas albums, but um, the family has a basket here. by the boombox, we're kind of old school, so we'll throw in five, six, Whatever the, the the player takes five, six albums at a time and put it on random shuffle and just let them come up. So, you know, whether it's it's Bing Crosby or Meltor May or Charles Brown or Nat King Cole, it's more the singer than it is the song with me for Christmas songs. So I think if you mix it up rather than having one artist straight through, it becomes a more satisfying experience. And may all your Christmases be
0: one that's going to do it for this week on behalf of all of us here happy holidays thanks for listening and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station